if you have your Bibles, we'll just turn to 1 Timothy, and we'll read this portion of Scripture. Um, I think that it, it's a good preface for, for the message, for what we'll, what we'll be going into, and, and maybe the, the main idea of that. So if you have your Bibles, that's 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll read at starting at verse 3. So um, it says... It's talking about uh, Christians, it's talking about living a peaceful, a quiet, a godly, dignified life. And it says, this is good. And it, ple- and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I'll just go over that part again. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. I hope that that'll kind of introduce where we're going with the the sermon. Um, Forgive me if I'm real dialed into this center part, to this just center aisle here. I know me and a lot of the kids tore our neck at the trampoline park on Friday, so if I'm going left to right looking like a robot, that's, that's why. Um, but yeah, so as a, just as a bit of recap, to, to remember where we are in this, in this series, Dave, if you, were, if you remember, he talked about from, from John 15, about the true vine, and he talked about, the diff- about what it looks like to be a poser, and I called him out for being a poser, because he hung out with the skateboarders but didn't skate, um, and he talked about the difference between being a poser and, and, and a true disciple. Then we went to John 16, where Jesus looks at his disciples, and, and he's just going through all this teaching, and he, and he tells them, that I'm going to leave you, and they don't know how to take that, but he says, it's actually best that I leave you, because then I will, I will leave and I'll send the Spirit. And we talked last week of how the Spirit will come and, and convict the world in, in sin and righteousness and judgment. And then at the end of that chapter, he finishes it by saying, looking at his disciples and saying, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. This is where we hop in tonight, and the next, the first words in John 17 say, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and then he goes on with a prayer that we'll look at. And then just after that, next week, um, Dave will be talking about the betrayal of, of, of Jesus, and then we'll move to his crucifixion. In his, in his resurrection. And so after, after he concludes, just got to get on my papers here. After he concludes by, by with this, this, this teaching, it says in, in chapter 17, Jesus says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, when Jesus had spoken these things, he concludes all this teaching, and, and then he moves on with this incredible prayer. It's an, it's an awesome prayer. It's a prayer that is so jam-packed with Christian teaching, with, with, our, with our doctrines. And, and I really believe that if, if we tonight can, can understand just can understand and apply just some of these truths that are revealed in this scripture. It would, it would, it would um, send us into deeper godliness, into to a deeper understanding, and, and a deeper knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
John MacArthur has a quote about this chapter, and, and he says that John 17 is, could, could be talked as, could be spoken of as, as building blocks for us or for maybe a new believer who just got saved and, and how we, they could be building blocks to, to start a foundation for the rest of the Bible. Or, or he says it could be a lens, this chapter, this prayer, of how we could, we could take this chapter and, and look through and move from this chapter into all of Scripture. It is, it's so conclusive and, and thorough and, and from here to, to reach into creation, to reach into the cross of Christ before, before he came to, um, to the world, to all these things, this, this prayer is just, is incredible. Um, it's, it's a great prayer. Have you ever written out a prayer? Have you ever in your alone time spent time as you pray writing that out? I see a lot of no, yeah, heads nodded. I would encourage you to do that, not because I have so much experience in doing that, but because so many people have told me to do that, and I respect those people. Um, but I've done that a couple times, and it seems like I've done that maybe more so with, with prayers of repentance, which uh, maybe it's a hard prayer for me to get myself to do, and it's easier to just start writing, and, and through that our, we can be more pointed and... and um, more precise in the sin maybe that we're repenting, more precise in, in what I'm talking about, who I am and, and who he is. And there's, there's a lot of incredible prayers that, that are recorded. I know, I know the staff and myself, and I know some of you would read a book called Valley of Vision. That's a book um, that is just full of prayers written by the Puritans. And um, Jessica gave this book to me when we first started dating. And it's been such an incredible tool for me as it's a, it's a written out um, prayer, so intentional with a progression, and that sometimes when I wake up and I'm not sure exactly what to pray about, this enables me to see all these incredible things to pray about. And there's so many, so many awesome prayers written um, that have been recorded, but many have actually pinned John 17 as, as the greatest prayer in, in all of Scripture. The greatest prayer ever prayed, best prayer ever recorded. Um, Warren Wearsby, I'll read you this quote, what he says about this prayer. He says, this is the greatest prayer ever prayed on earth and the greatest prayer ever recorded in scripture. John 17 is certainly the holy of holies of the gospel accounts. And we, catch us, he says, and we must approach this prayer with all humility and worship. To think that we have the privilege to listen in as God the Son speaks with God the Father just before he hands himself over to us to be crucified so that we may be saved. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it, so many people, scholars say it's the greatest prayer and we might think of maybe Matthew 5 for example the Lord's Prayer and, and that's a popular one that we know is, is great but and I don't want to undermine this prayer but as you, if you, as you read down that prayer one of the lines is Father forgive us for our debts as we forgive our debtors and so and so the difference between Matthew 5 the Lord's Prayer and, and, and John 17 that prayer is as soon as Jesus says forgive us of our debts that, that tells us this isn't, this isn't Jesus praying Right? Jesus has no debts to be forgiven. He's, he's the perfect one. 
And so we know that that prayer was for his disciples, for us, so that we can, can read that and it can be an outline for us to learn how to pray. Whereas John 17, yes, it was, it was prayed in front of his disciples and it was recorded for us to learn from. John 17 was, was a prayer that from the heart of Jesus, that he, that he spoke in perfect communion, no debt to be paid, to God the Father. And as, as Wearsby said, we have this incredible privilege to, to listen to that and, and read that and study that. Um, so let's just open in, in, a, in a word of prayer, prayer. I think we need this, I need this. And um, let's just ask that, that we will have humility and that, that God will give us a heart of worship as we, as we approach it. Father, we, we thank you so much for this prayer. You didn't owe this to us, Father, but you teach us so much of the precious heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and um, we give you praise for that. Father, you are holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We praise you for how we see Jesus in your plan, in your plan, how Jesus is the plan, Father, and and how Jesus was there when the plan was, was put together. And so I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that you will help us see these things and that you will help us do that with humility and that you'll give us all a heart of worship as we read through these things and we, and we meditate and we think on the, on the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus, in his name, amen. So he starts it off when Jesus had spoken these things. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father... The hour has come. The hour has come. What is this hour? So just to, to get this, um, what is this hour that Jesus, this is a preface to go into his entire prayer. What is this hour? It's a lot of things. It's so many things. But one thing this is, is it's, a, it's the first time, this hour is the first time that Jesus will be successfully taken captive. First time that Jesus puts out his hands and willingly is, is, is taken. Um, not the first time that people have tried to, to take Jesus captive, but the first time that, that we as humankind are successful in, in getting him. There's been multiple times that people tried, that people have tried, and, 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 and we know that it hadn't worked because Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. We hear him saying that. And now Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. And, and um, immediately after he says that, after he prays this prayer and says amen, he doesn't say amen, but when he finishes prayer, that is exactly what happens. He, he stands up. He gathers his disciples together. He, 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 they, he, they go forward because the hour has come. They cross the brook of Kidron and they go into this garden and they sit and they wait and they wait so that Jesus may be captivated, that he may be taken. And why? Because the hour has come. And this time people aren't going to necessarily be successful in captivating Jesus, but, but Jesus rather is going to go to that garden and wait for that multitude of that army to come and, and he's going to hand himself in because the hour has come. So he says, Father, the hour has come. 
glorify your son that the son may glorify you. This, just so you understand the whole chapter here, originally when I read this, there's a part on on going out and and kind of being enemies in this world and and the world hating you and we have to share Christ. And I was like, of course, that's what I'm going to focus on in this chapter. That's easy. I'll talk about evangelism. But I wanted to understand the first part of the chapter. And as I started going through that, I realized that we're actually not going to get out of the first five verses. There's so much here and and that's where we're going to be. And this first five verses are when Jesus prays for himself. And when, he's, when he finishes in that, then he moves on and he prays for his disciples. And in the last part, he then prays for us, for all of those who will believe through the word of their disciples. And so this is actually the only request that Jesus makes about himself in the whole prayer. And it is this. Father, the hours come. Glorify your son. Glorify your son that your son may then glorify you. And, wh- and what, what, he, he, what it is that he really is saying here is, is to paraphrase. He's saying, Father, stick to the plan. This is our plan. It has been our plan. The, the eternal plan that was set in stone before the creation of the world. Jesus says, the hour has come, I'm gonna be taken And Father, let's do this. This is going to happen. Glorify me. Take me out of the grave. Stick to this plan. This is the plan. This is what we've decided from before the the world was created. And and I see Jesus saying, when he says, Father, glorify me, I said, I may glorify you. He's saying, this is it. The hour has come. Let's do this. This is is it. This is kind of the final chapter here. We know, and we'll talk about it, but before the, the world was created, the plan was always that Jesus would come. He would come down. He would wrap himself in human skin. He would be born of a virgin. He would live a perfect life. He would die. He would be buried. And he would be then resurrected. And then he would be ascended to heaven, and he would be glorified. So, Father, so Jesus sees this coming. The hour has come, and he says, Father, glorify your son. This is This is happening. And we know, we know that God answered that prayer because we know that Jesus is, is risen. We also know that if Jesus hadn't have been risen from the grave, then we would think of him and, and everyone in that day would think of him as just another man, just another one of those men that were claiming to be the sent one, the Messiah. But Jesus said, Father, glorify me so that I may glorify you. After he says that, in verse 2, he says this, Since you have given him, or as you have, or because you have given him authority over all flesh, over all the earth, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Verse 2, we can see this verse as Jesus telling God or, or telling us or we see this is the reason that Jesus must be glorified. Not just that he must be Resurrected, But this is the reason that Jesus, verse 2, is the reason that Jesus must be glorified. It's almost as if to understand this verse, that Jesus is, is making a case to prove that he must be glorified. He says, Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. 
because, or since you have given me, or him, Jesus is speaking the third person here, but since you have given him or me authority over all the earth to then give eternal life to all whom you have given me. Jesus, now that Jesus has died for, for the sins of the world, now Jesus has, has the authority, he's been given that, that opportunity to then give eternal life to the world. He died for the sins and now he may give us life from our sins. And, and so it's almost like Jesus saying, I have to be glorified, this has to happen. Because all through his life we know he said, he said this was gonna happen. This was his word. Not only that, he said that, um, you know, Jesus said, I am the door. He walked on this earth and he did, he did miracles and he said, I am the door, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the way, I'm the light. And he says on the earth, no one will get to the Father unless it's through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man may enter unless it goes through me. So Jesus, he sees that, this is the, that the hour has come. He knows that he's, a, he's about to be taken captive. He knows that he's about to die and that he will, he will be in the grave. And he says, Father, I need to be glorified because I've been telling these people that they can't get to you unless it's through me, the glorified Savior. So Father, the hour has come. Glorify me so that I can glorify you because I can't glorify you. People can't glorify you unless it's through me. And I've said that in my whole ministry. So Father, glorify me. And the reason is because you've, you've set this up. This is our plan. You've given me authority to give eternal life to all um, whom you have given me. In verse three, he moves on and says, and this is eternal life. This is the life that he gives, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. There are um, so many, so many ways, so many earthly and religious ways that, that are in our world um, to, to make it to Father, to step through that door that Jesus claimed is the only way. So many ways that we may be fulfilled or that we may be saved or that we one day may make it to heaven that don't include Jesus. They're everywhere. And I think it's, it's so important to, to take a second and discuss that the true, the, the biblical view, the biblical teaching of salvation is exclusivism. I practice that word a lot of times so I wouldn't mess that up. Exclusivism. This tripped me up when I first got saved. It really did. And, and, and I know a lot of people still struggle with that. But in my, my, my immaturity and my new... Um, salvation, my new Christian life, I thought, how is this fair? You know, that Joe Blow, I'll see heaven, but all these people who are all, like, running on a treadmill trying to please God are, are, are not gonna, how do I make sense of that? It really tripped me up, and I know with youth and, and others, that, that's something that really, um, that's a hard truth to swallow. We all know people that think that they will be there, and I think I will be there but I will be there through, through Jesus Christ. 
exclusivism, what, what that means exactly. Um, the meaning of this, this is a quote from Phil Fernandes. It says this, only those who consciously trust in God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, for salvation will be saved. Those who do not trust in Jesus alone for salvation are excluded from salvation and they remain lost. Everyone who doesn't trust for salvation through Jesus are excluded from salvation and they are lost. It's a hard truth. We can, we can all sit here together, every, every one of us, and, and discuss and agree that we're, we're not perfect. Everyone, I think, would nod to that reality that we, none of us are, none of us have made it. We're not perfect and, and, and we need help. You know, we need, we can't do this on our own. We're not, we're not divine. We can all admit that. We can all say that. And in this reminder from this passage, we can, remind, we can be reminded that our help comes by forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, and that he is the only way. This is a hard truth, um, but I believe that, that this is a necessary truth in light of this passage to, to understand and to grasp the heart of our Lord Jesus. This is so intimate and, and a passionate prayer to, to understand and reconsider and re-believe that Jesus is the only way, the only means by which we may be, be saved is a necessary truth, a hard truth, but necessary. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, we'll just read that. Satan wants us to believe that there are other ways. And if he convince, convinces of the, us of that, then he's, uh, he's kind of one. He's, he's got us right there. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 24 says this. It's, it's, I believe that this passage is for all of us, not just a pastor. It's a, it's a servant of, of God. In verse 24, we read, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but rather kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, so that God may perhaps grant them re- with repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Granting them of repentance and repentance that leads to a knowledge of of the truth. Multiple times in, in the epistles we read of that, that God's will for us is that we will get saved and will we'll grow in the knowledge of truth. And, and, a, and a vital aspect of, as a Christian, being saved and growing is, is to look upon Jesus, being reminded of who he is, what he's done for us, and just how vital it is for our life. And so as... as we need to, as we need to remember this, to understand this passage. It is so true. Jesus leaves this chapter, he leaves this prayer, 
and he, and he gets up. He gets his disciples, like we said. He, he crosses the brook of Kidron, and he goes into this garden, and he sits, and he sits to be, to be taken. He's sitting there, and he goes into new prayer, and that's, that's when we know. And then he falls on his face, and he's in such great anguish that he's sweating drops of, of blood. You know, he, he's, he's here in this garden waiting. He knows his hour has come. And he's right there. He's, he's right there. And, and we, ha- and we re- are reminded from this that Jesus is human. And he, and he, he realized that he's about to die. Like, he's on the, on the doorstep of his grave. And, he, and he's going to be buried. And, and he's thinking through these things. And he's sweating. And he's in anguish. He's sweating blood. And, and he's praying through these things. And he says, God, is there, if there's any other way, he knows there wasn't. So this is the way. And so he's there and he knows this is going to happen. And, he, and in this prayer, he says, Father, glorify me. I need to be glorified. Because I'm, we've set me as the source of eternal life. So I can't stay in the grave. It's, have you ever been in, in a situation where you've been in the middle of something or you've been kind of thinking about one, maybe one foot in the water about to do something and you kind of click and you, you reconsider like, is this the best idea? I know it happens to me all the time. I know, I know you kind of know the, the feeling. Um, an example of this is, is uh, growing up under vehicles with my father. Um, in the mechanic shop, we, we didn't have a hoist, so we had a, a pit. And um, I spent a lot of time doing this with Dad. And, and, and this one specific thing always just terrified me. And we'd be kind of, this would normally be we'd be helping out someone who was a, a friend or a, a faithful um, customer where we would kind of get into something that isn't the money maker of the everyday job but it, we would just be kind of help them out so remember we would do this often he um not often every once in a while someone would come in with a, with a bent axle so we'd pull them over the over the bay and my father and i would be both under the car and the plan was that we take chains and we wrap them around the axle and wrap them to the cross beam of the pit and we take the air jacks and we put them on the frame of the car so that as we're both under that pit he looks at me and says, all right, go. And I start hitting the air to that jack, and the, the car starts raising, and the chains get tighter, and the, be- and, the, and the frame of the car lifts up, and the axle is pulled down. Anyways, the chains are creaking. It is, and the ch- it's above you. I was so scared every time, every single time. And Dad came home one time with the, the jacket slipped. It kind of busted up his face a bit. And so that was right here when he said, said you know, push that jack. And I remember just before I, I, I squeeze that, that air compressor, I think, he says, go. And I think, you sure? Like, are you, you double check this? We're, we're 100%. You know, this is, you, okay. You know, and um, I know after that, I, I, didn't have much, I didn't have much reason to doubt him. But after one time, I was holding a piece of wood, and he was going down and slipped and cut my hand up pretty bad. Then I had reason to doubt him. But as, as Jesus is, is looking at what was about to happen, the weight of this, he was, he was about to be killed brutally. And he looks up at his father and he says, Father, glorify me. Because this is, right? Like this, this is the plan from, from before the foundation of the world. And, and this has to happen. This is not, and, and we don't suppose um, a doubt on Jesus at all here. 
But rather now as we see Jesus um, nearing the grave, we don't suppose dead on his, on his behalf, but rather we have this window into Jesus praying to the Father, praying through their eternal plan, in communion, talking through these things, that this is their plan, this has always been their plan, and this is the hour, and he's just, he's talking through these things. Opposite to me, doubting my Father's capability as I'm, as I'm doing that, Jesus was, comp- it was completely completely entrusted his entire self to God the Father. No doubt there at all. No doubt, but rather we see hope. He had great hope for what was coming. This has been a long journey, but now he sees what's, what, that what, this is the hour, and he, and he has so much hope for what's coming. He, he has peace. We know that. He says, Fathers, if, if there's any other way, which I'm kind of bumping into the next message, but if there's any other way, and God says no, and he says, your will be done. We see joy. In verse 13 of this prayer, he says, but now I'm coming to you as he speaks to the Father. And these things I have spoken to the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So we see Jesus with hope, with peace, with joy, and with faith, no doubt, but faith, entrusting himself to the Father. Because there's no other way. And so just ask yourself, do you, do you believe that? Are you, are you reminded of that? Do you struggle with that? Are you, do you, are you, are you, just be reminded tonight that there, is, that there is no other way. Verse 4, he then moves, in, um, moves into this. He says this, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I glorified you on earth. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And he did that, didn't he? We know that he did that. He did it perfectly. Um, We know that he did that as a young boy. Got away from his parents. He's in the synagogues teaching about these things that just baffled people. Right? He was was on a plan right right from the start. As an adult teaching truth that was so contrary to the culture, to the, to the religion. We see him, we see him um, accomplishing God's work and glorifying him by raising the dead, by, by speaking truth, by walking on water, loving people like people didn't have a context for love yet. And he says, I glorified you on earth and I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I sense so much joy in his, in his voice when he says that. I've done it. From the beginning, this was the plan, and I have done it. Um, Hebrews 5.7 says this, one of my favorite passages. says this in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And now being made perfect, he, Jesus, has become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He submitted himself to the Father. And he, and he did it perfectly. He had tasks that he needed to fulfill. And at the end of his ministry, he looks at his father and he says, the hour has come. I've done it. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Not only that, but the whole time I did it, I glorified your name. And people even came to me and I said, no, everything I do is from the father and, and for the father. It's him. You look, look to the father. Finally, in verse 5, Jesus says this. After he, after he says um, that he's accomplished everything, in verse 5 he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What, who do you think of when, when I say these words? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I hope, I hope that, that as we finish here, you see Jesus in that prayer. You see Jesus in that prayer. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We know that Jesus was. We know that he was before. Jesus says, glorify me, with the glory that I had before this world even existed. And if we, if we look back to Genesis, we see this when, when God was making us. He says, then God said, let us. He wasn't talking to the, the sea creatures or the livestock that he had previously created. He said, he was talking to Jesus, he's Jesus and he said, let us make man. Let us make man. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let us make him in our image, in our likeness. Jesus was there before the, the, world, the world was created. And he had perfect, perfect communion and glory with the Father. And he says, glorify me with that glory that I had with you. In Exodus 3, we won't turn there, but... I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but um, God's people are all enslaved in Egypt and, and God is going to save them. And so he sends Moses to do that. And Moses says, like, who am I? Like, I, I've got, I got I have slurred speech and, and I'm a nobody, you know? Like, why are you sending me? And, and, and more than that, Moses says, when I go up and maybe like knock on Pharaoh's door and I'm just going to say, hey, let my people go. You know, Moses is like, who, who, is, who do I say that's sending me? What, on what authority am I going to do this by? And, and God's response to him is tell them that I am who I am has, has sent you. I am who I am. That's what God wanted him to, him to be called as. Um, that's his name. And, and then again, he said, just Moses, tell them that I am sent you. So you might think, why is that important? Because Jesus, 
Jesus is God. And that matters. It matters so much. After he goes to the garden, after he gives himself over, after he, he is, um, he's not found out and, and taken by the people, but rather he comes out from the garden as they are approaching and he says, here, you know, take me. And, and likely one of the Jewish officials says, uh, oh no, sorry, Jesus says, Who, whom do you speak? He's talking to these, this huge army of, um, with swords and lanterns and, and um, all, the, all, the, all this gear. And um, Jesus says, whom do, you speak, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Jesus say? You know the story for sure. Jesus says, I am. And when Jesus says, I am, the whole army is blown back onto their backs. These are like the top of the top, the guys in, in, in humility. Yeah, just like blown over. And imagine that process of them stepping up and then someone saying, hey, you go tie his arms together. You know, like, but Jesus said, I am. And that, just the power of saying those words, of claiming to be God and it being correct, blew everyone onto their backs. After that, someone came up to, to take him and, and Jesus willingly, he gave himself to them because his hour had come. We'll finish there. I want to read this song to conclude. Um, generally, I know when I took um, my, my preaching class at MBBI, there was always, you, you have your, your application, you know, your, your point that you send them home with. And, and to be honest, I don't really have that tonight. And and that's, our, and that's an intentional thing, I believe. Um, I hope that the application, the takeaway tonight, is that you've, you've seen Jesus. I hope that you've been reminded of Jesus, of who he is, of what he's done for you. We're about to move into communion. We're about to break bread and, and, and drink a, the, the juice that reminds us of his blood. And I hope, as far as a takeaway that yes, we've been led to repentance, we've been saved, but there's the and there. We have to also grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come here on Sunday or a Saturday night to be refreshed, to see Jesus, to encourage each other in Jesus. That's, that's what we do. We need to be sanctified and, and, and we are sanctified by looking to Jesus, the author, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is, he is what holds everything together. And I hope, and I hope you love him. I want to ask you, do you just desire to be with Jesus? Is your prayer, oh, come, Lord Jesus? Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Do you want to be with him just so bad? Because he wants to be with you. In verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, so he's talking about us now, may also be with me where I am to see my glory that I have with you. Jesus loves you so much. He's done this for you. And, and it just thrills his soul. It gives him so much joy to ask his father, Father, when this is all said and done, I also request this, I request this also, that my people 
whom are saved through my word and believe in me will one day come to heaven and see the glory that I have with you, the glory that I've had with you before I came to this earth. I love them and I've done this all for them I, and he just can't wait for us to be with him and, and share in that glory. So do you, do you desire to be with Jesus? Because he certainly, as we reflect on all these things, he wants to be with you. And do you love Jesus? Jesus came and loved like we have no concept for understanding that love. He loved like we have never seen before. Do you love Jesus? Because he loves you. He loves you so much. Let me just read this, this song, and then I'll close in prayer. Um, Matt and Marcy did this at a prayer meeting the other week, and I was really encouraged, and that will be kind of maybe our theme going into Water Sea Camp, is to, to focus on Jesus. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We have a wonderful Savior and I hope that you are encouraged and reminded about that.